Hey folks, Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors here at Forest Hill Church, and I'm so glad to be with you and thank you for tuning in, especially during the weeks that we've been having in this particular crisis. Question, how are you doing? I mean, really? We've had the privilege, both of our staff and our spiritual leaders, of being able to make phone calls to our congregations to find out how folks are doing. And it's kind of split. Some of you are doing pretty well. As a matter of fact, some of you are experiencing kind of a breath during this time from your frenetic, hectic pace of life, and you're kind of reconnecting with family, reconnecting with nature, reconnecting with your own soul. So that's awesome. Where I also know that some of you are struggling. You're dealing with this situation with a lot of difficulty, whether it's the financial implications of what's happening with the being furloughed or jobs kind of closing their doors or releasing people, or maybe you've got loved ones that you're caring for or loved ones that you can't be with. Some of you right now are at the place where you are isolationed out. You are homeschooled out. Some of you are like, if I have to be at one more Zoom meeting there's going to be trouble. We're reaching that threshold of tolerance because of what we're dealing with. And usually when crises like this takes place, it kind of intensifies all kinds of questions. We have questions about the impact, personal, that's financial or medical, the whole thing as far as the cases, the infections, the spread, those who have lost their lives. We've got questions about what's happening, even as far as this reentry. Like, when are we going to be opening soon, and what's the danger of that? What's the danger of not reentering back and opening up, as some states are doing, and I'm sure that we will as well? All kinds of questions. We're like, what's the government going to do? What's the healthcare system going to do? What's the school system going to do? What's God going to do? And yeah, we have a tendency sometimes to focus on what we have lost or what we're about to lose. And we wonder, where is God in the whole sense of this? Where is God in the whole picture? I want to focus this message with a different kind of question. Rather rather than what's God going to do, how about this one? What has God already done? What has God already done? And how about this one? What are we going to do with what God has already done? That's kind of where we're going in this message as we are continuing in this series of trading up. This dynamic life, it's a part of our mission statement that we build bridges. We want to build bridges that connect people to the dynamic life in Jesus Christ. And one of the phone calls that I had this past week, I talked with one of our congregants who was going through a difficult time herself. She's been furloughed and wondering what's going to happen with, with her financial situation. But she said that she refuses to allow the circumstance to disturb her faith and her trust trust in God. I want some of that, and I bet you do too. That no matter what's changing around us, that there are some things about us that never change and that continues to offer a bedrock, solid foundation where life can still be impactful. And that's the essence of this series, that there's an aspect of this life in Jesus Christ that is designed to bring us more hope, more joy, more peace, more victory than anything that we've known. Last week, Jason brought the message from Mark chapter 5, and he let us know that through Jesus Christ, he has the power and the authority to rewrite the stories of people better than what they ever considered. And we took a look at some miracles. Today, we're going to take a look at a different facet, a different dimension of how Jesus delivers that power. Last week, and for these previous chapters, it's been through Jesus Christ alone. Now we're going to take a look at Jesus doing it in a different way. As a matter of fact, that's the big idea for this message. The big idea is this, is that the dynamic life was always designed to be passed on by those who possess it. Dynamic life was always designed to be passed on by those who 
possess it. We're taking a look at Mark chapter 6, written by one of the followers of Jesus Christ, not one of the 12, but a follower of Jesus Christ who's taking by dictation the experiences of the Apostle Peter and writing them for people who were needing that kind of encouragement around 60 AD, who are dealing with their own crisis and they're wanting the encouragement. So, as we have been doing, as a demonstration of our unity and our reverence for the Word of God, if you are able, wherever you may be and whatever you're dressed in, I invite you to stand as we take a look at this passage, Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. Here's what it says. Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, so we take a look at this particular aspect of Jesus' ministry as he's doing this through his disciples. It was always Jesus' desire in this ministry, as he would call disciples to him, it was always his intention that ministry would be done through them. They were a part of the plan, that they would be equipped to do ministry in a way that reflects the kingdom purpose and the king himself. And so we talk about this aspect of the commissioning. Jesus is commissioning his disciples for ministry. That involves, first of all, summoning them to him, calling them to him. Folks, that is key to the success of ministry. It starts off not with our doing things for Christ merely, but coming to Jesus so that he can instruct us, that he can imbue us with power. We do ministry successfully when we do it on, in accordance with Jesus' direction and Jesus' leadership. So Jesus is calling the disciples together. I'm imagining what that might have looked like on that particular day. I'm thinking he said, man, we're getting ready to go out on campaign. So come together, take a knee. I've got some instructions to get you ready for what's about to happen. So he's going to give them instructions. First, he's summoning to them, and now these instructions. And he says, here's the thing. I want to be sending you out in pairs, two by two, so that there is a, a good testimony. There's a good accountability and support that each of you will have. You're not doing it alone. You're going to be going out in pairs to make sure that this ministry gets done in a way that can be properly reported and experienced and expressed. So that's number one. Next thing is pack light. Don't pack a lot of stuff. Okay, little side note. Uh, Jonathan is ridiculed on a regular basis by his wife, Aimee, because when it comes to packing, Aimee is one of the most efficient packers I've ever, I've ever seen. Me, on the other hand, I, I, I'm, I'm a mess. I pack stuff that I really don't need because I might need it. So I have a full bunch of suitcase, Aimee. I'm still working on it, and it's an issue. Because here's the thing. For these people, the mission was so urgent that Jesus said, hey, don't pack extra stuff, and here's why. Because everything you will need to accomplish the ministry task will be in the field for you. Trust in me. He even brings that to their attention later on when they're freaking out and anxious about what they might need. And Jesus says, when I sent you out there, did you lack anything? And they're like, no. Well, then trust me. Wherever God guides, God provides. It's a lesson the disciples will learn. But he also says to them, expect a couple of things. Expect hospitality. 
There are people who are going to welcome you and they're going to want you to stay at their place. And when that happens, stay right where you are. Allow that to be kind of ministry HQ, ministry base from which ministry happens. And don't be looking for better digs. Be humble and grateful and stay right where you are. But you can also expect not just hospitality, but hostility. There will be people who will not receive your message. They will reject the message, and they may even ridicule and criticize you about that. When that happens, Jesus said, then shake the dust off your feet. That was actually a Jewish custom, that when Jews would come from Gentile places, that they wouldn't want to carry the contamination of being with Gentiles back into their own community, so they'd shake the dust off their feet. But these disciples are going to be going to Jewish homes and in Jewish places. And if there was a rejection, that they were supposed to take the dust off their feet and shake it out as a testimony against that rejection with the hopes that maybe when those Jews would see that demonstration, that testimony, that maybe they might reconsider their position and actually give another listen to the message that's being communicated. But we gotta, gotta go back. We, we talked about the commissioning, we talked about the instructions, but then there's the empowering. Did you catch that? He says he sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority. He gave them authority to exercise demons. He gave them authority to heal. And both, we, we have to kind of take a look at what it says both in Matthew and in Luke to get a fuller picture of what these disciples were given. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 through 8 says this. Jesus says, as you proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is among you, the kingdom is right here, right now. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the... Wait a second, back up. Raise the dead? Folks, here, here's what's going on. Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, I, I, I know you, you, you've been freaking out. You've been wondering about the things that you've been seeing me doing. And sure enough, they have seen Jesus do things they had never realized could be done. And they are amazed. I imagine the questions that they must be asking is, what kind of man is this that can do these kinds of things? And now Jesus is telling them, Everything you saw me do, I am giving you the power to do the same thing. To heal, to exercise demons, to drive out demons, and raise the dead. Folks, let that sit with you for a bit. The power that Jesus was just wielding with successful authority, he was transferring to his disciples to do the exact same thing. Now listen, as a pianist, when I grew up, uh, some of my heroes as a classical musician at the age of nine and, and following were guys like Mozart and Chopin, Beethoven. Arthur Rubinstein, born in the late 1800s, became one of the greatest pianists of the 20th century. And I remember watching videos or listening to his music saying, man, I want to have that kind of ability. I'm amazed about how his fingers would move with such dexterity. Later on, uh, artists like Billy Joel, Elton John and their abilities, and then Keith Green and Michael W. Smith, I wanted to have that kind of talent. So I go to a keyboard, bang out those tunes, trying to imitate their ability to get as close as I could to their skill. That's not what's happening here. Jesus didn't bring the disciples together and say, okay, guys, line up. Let's see what you got. Let's see if you've learned. And wherever you're lacking, I'm going to go ahead and fill in the gaps. No. Jesus is directly transferring to these men his ability, his power, that authority, which means it's a right and might of being able to accomplish a task without any resistance. That power is resident within the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking those disciples were like, did he just say what I thought he just said? We now can do everything that he just did? 
I don't feel any different. I don't feel, I don't see the halo. There's not a burning bush, no dove coming out of the sky. I don't feel electricity running through my body. No sparks are coming out of my fingers. I'm thinking that when they actually left to go on the campaign, on the campaign of ministry, that's next. Because it says that he sent them out, they went out and they were in part of this campaign, but I don't know that they felt any different. As a matter of fact, they might be thinking, how is this going to work? But here's what takes place. When they go on the campaign, a couple things that they did. Number one, they began, first of all, to address the eternal condition of mankind. It says they went out and they preached the gospel. They preached and proclaimed the message and called people to repentance. Folks, that's the first and most important thing for us to realize. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, out of being tempted, that was his message. His message was the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the full range of God's effective will. Jesus, the king said, the kingdom is here, repent. Readjust your life. Readjust your loyalties, your allegiances, your perspective to my leadership. As king of this kingdom, being able to enter it requires change. It requires repentance. And I believe that Jesus preached that message with great joy. The disciples went out as well too, and they're preaching that message. Folks, the greatest need of mankind is nothing that the government, the healthcare system, or the school system can provide. They can provide some of it, but mankind's greatest need is his separated condition from God because of sin. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ must be the message we make sure that no matter what kind of crisis we're facing, that that message is never silenced because that is mankind's greatest need. And the antidote to that is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It would be, it would be a shame for us to spend all these resources and all this time and energy making sure that people could experience healing and their life could get back to normal, get back to what they should be, which is a good thing, but it would be a shame to spend all of that effort to do only that to help people be comfortable in this life and miss the reality that God has already allocated extravagant resources to establish people in eternal life now and forevermore. As followers of Jesus Christ, like the disciples, let's make sure that we do not neglect or allow the crises to eclipse that message, calling people and inviting them into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. They're addressing the eternal condition. But the second thing is they're obviously addressing the temporal condition, the stuff that people are going through, whether in this case it was demonic possessions or all kinds of afflictions or even death. I'm wondering what that must have been like for the disciples. I mean, again, they ain't feeling anything like special, no electricity. And I'm thinking they're like, okay. And they show up at a funeral <laughs> or they, with a person who's leprous or a demonic person that's going crazy with possession. And they're like, okay, not sure exactly how this is going to work. And they may have done it just in a kind of a fumbling way. And they just said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And they were. And they would see demons put on the run. They'd see diseases fleeing out of the bodies. They would see dead people. And they're like, oh my goodness. And they must have got more emboldened so that maybe by the fourth and fifth time, they're like, in Jesus. Well, you know, that whole kind of thing where they just kind of went crazy with it because they were amazed. This power to change lives is not just with Jesus. It's in us as well. It says that when they came back from the campaign in Luke chapter 10, they came back with such joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us 
in your name. It's what Jesus has always wanted. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, here's what Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Folks, Jesus is not interested in keeping all of that to himself. He wants us to have that kind of power to make the kingdom difference in the lives of people that are around us. Once it's received, it's to be freely given. Even though they didn't feel any different because the power of Christ sometime is released when needs are engaged. So they went out. They did this kingdom, kingdom campaign and they preached the gospel message. They addressed both the eternal and the temporal concerns and they experienced kingdom victory and kingdom power flowing through them, anointing with oil many people who were sick and bringing healing to them. I'm thinking the disciples must have been freaking out at some point, but still filled with such great joy at what Jesus was doing through his power in their life. Let's talk a little bit about that word anointing, okay? That word has always kind of confused me in the way that it's being used because at this particular point, if, I hear a, if we hear a song that we, that we love, that song is anointed or that sermon is anointed or that, that souffle or casserole is anointed. Here's the thing. The, the essence about anointing, that word is one word in English, anointing, but it's like three different meanings in the scripture. One word, it means to actually rub, to smear an entire body in, in pre preparation for burial. Another one is to simply daub or rub on a particular part of the body because in that particular day, oil was the medicinal pre prescription for diseases, for sicknesses, to refresh a body. And so anointing with oil, something very simple, something very, very common, was only on a particular part of the body. That's the definition of the word that's being used in this particular passage, that the disciples were anointing with something very simple for people to experience benefit. The third way that that word is used actually means a consecration. It's a kind of a sacramental anointing, a consecration or setting apart a person for a specific office or spiritual service. Kings are anointed. Priests are anointed. Prophets are anointed in a special way. Spiritual anointing with power to carry out a responsibility. The word for that is C-H-R-I-O, creo. Which is interesting because that word is the root to the word Christos. Jesus, that word in the Greek, translated in the Hebrew is the Messiah, the anointed one. But that is also a part of the word for Christians as well. That we are the anointed ones of the anointed one. Anointed with power, anointed with kingdom life. And so the idea here is that empowered by the anointed one, we, the Christians, the church of Jesus Christ, we are the anointed and the anointing ones. In other words, Christ has called his disciples, his followers, he's called us to move into the world to spread the power of his anointing presence to bring a change and a dynamic of kingdom life to the world that's in 
desperate need of it. That's why our mission is we want to build bridges that connect people. But we do that not because we're simply pointing to Jesus. No, we've been people who've been possessed. We've been changed by it, and we're sharing that kind of anointing with the world as well. In 1 John chapter 2, it says this, you, speaking to the Christians, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. The anointing you've received from him remains in you. Listen, I know that much in our world has changed. The landscape of our world because of this virus and other natural disasters, it's changed a lot. But folks, there are things that have not changed. Who we are in Christ, whose we are, and what has been entrusted to us, that power is still available to transform the lives of people that are around us. And folks, our mission That has not changed either. We are still called by Christ, sent out, equipped, and empowered into a world to bring them the hope and the peace and the love and the joy and the life that is resident within the gospel, the good news of the King, Jesus Christ himself. And so therefore, what do we do with that kind of power? What's our responsibility in it? I would say this. What do we do with what God has already given? A couple of things. Number one, receive it. First of all, receive that power. Listen, if there are those of you that maybe this is your first time here with us at Forest Hill Church, thank you for being a part of us, or you're kind of new to the whole journey of Christianity. This is an invitation that Jesus has made to all of us and to you to not just look at that invitation or to look at that power, but to receive it by faith to acknowledge that this Jesus Christ who gave his life as the cure for our separation from God, that through his sacrificial death, that we can know forgiveness, we can know reconciliation, a restored relationship to God, and that by his resurrection power, we can live life in a completely brand new and different way, in a way that reflects his life. But it requires repentance. It requires a change of our perspective, a change of our loyalty to place our faith and our trust in him. To experience that power, it first requires us to receive it by faith. It says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Receiving it first and foremost. Number two, especially for those of us who've already received it and yet The way that we're responding to the circumstances in life kind of make it seem as if that power is being eclipsed by all these other forces. I would say this, rest in the power that is already yours. Remember what you have, relish in it, take joy in it, rejoice in that power. But claim what is already ours and realize that even though things may be changing around us, that who and whose we are and what has been given, the resources of the kingdom, they are in the place of continuing to refresh our lives. And that power is available to and through us as well, but to rest in it and claim it. And then number three, I'd say this, release it. Release that power. Don't just just sit on it. That power was designed to be expressed, to be shared, to be passed on by those who possess it. And there have been some really Great stories that's, that's coming out from the COVID-19 situation. There was a situation with a boy, a 13-year-old 7th grade Boy Scout in Canada, British Columbia, Canada, who had seen pictures of nurses, weary doctors and nurses whose faces had these marks and bruises from these tight-fitting masks that they would wear taking care of COVID-19 patients. And the 
Canadian hospitals were asking people to make these ear guards to relieve that kind of pressure. This 13-year-old boy with his brand new 3D printer that he got for his birthday started making these particular ear guards after he found a design on the internet. At the rate of like eight, every four hours, he was able to make over 500 and requests from Canada and the United States came to this boy as he was doing this. He said, I'm, this is important to me. I want to be able to give back to those who are trying to save lives in taking care of those who are dealing with the crisis. A 13-year-old seventh grade boy with a 3D printer, that's kind of like the oil, a common element that he's using to bring peace and to bring hope and healing even to those who are carrying the crisis. Also in England, a 99-year-old World War II veteran captain, Tom Moore, he basically, because he had received incredible treatment for his cancer and his broken hip, he decided he wanted to raise money to assist the healthcare system in the United Kingdom. And so before his birthday, April 30th, he wants to walk 100 times around his garden with his walker and getting people to pledge. He was hoping to raise 1,000 pounds for the healthcare system. It turns out that he became like a national hero. And that man, 99 years old, walking with a walk around his garden 100 times before his birthday, raised over 23 million pounds for the healthcare system. That common element of just a walker and a garden, and he's able to provide that kind of hope and healing. Folks, there are stories at our church as well, too. We were getting reports of people who refuse to sit at home. <laughs> they are demanding opportunities to serve and to volunteer, even though they're going to be practicing the proper protocols of social distancing. They're out there serving. They're delivering groceries. They are feeding the hungry. They're taking care and being a part of these feeding programs. They're giving blood. They're running errands. Folks, they're making phone calls. You realize that something simple of making a phone call and letting a person speak to you and sharing with what's going on in their life. We've got people who are writing handwritten notes. There's like YouTube tutorials about how to be able to do that because we don't know how to do handwritten anymore. Children who are actually doing cards, drawing with crayon these cards that are going to those who are isolated in nursing facilities and assisted living. Folks, it's amazing what we, the human being and those of Christ can do in releasing the power that God has given us to bring healing and hope to our world, to release that and not hold on to it. Probably one of the best examples I heard was from the mayor of Earlham, Iowa. Population 1,450 people, and he is mayor when he's not doing mayoral things. He's also the plumber, but the town was hit pretty hard because of COVID-19. And he was trying to figure out what to do, and he got a phone call from an unidentified caller that an unidentified benefactor wants to pump money into that particular town. And he said that he was willing, this person, this benefactor, was willing to purchase $150 gift cards for the mayor to be able to distribute to whoever he wanted to. The guy called back and said, no, I want to up that from $100 to $250 gift cards to some of the establishments, a grocery store and a, and a restaurant in that particular community so that people would be able to get some food both for their homes, for their pantries, because people are dealing with the difficulty of paying their bills and keeping their pantries full. So stuff, groceries from the, from, from, you know, food from the grocers and a, and, a, and a food out, dining out. The guy called back again later on and said, I'm going to up that from 250 and I want to be able to pay for five hundred gift cards from these establishments for the community. And the mayor was blown away and said, people in our town, almost everybody will at least get groceries and at least get food from one of these restaurants. And they mentioned another one. 
the guy called back and said, no, you know something? I want to make sure that we don't distribute those cards or divide them up between the restaurants. And so this benefactor agreed that for the 549 residents, the homes in Earlham, Iowa, that he was going to purchase $50 gift cards, 549 $50 gift cards from each, the grocery store and each of the two diners. And the mayor was beside himself almost to the point of tears as he and Amy Willem, the assistant city clerk, they are stuffing envelopes for every home in Earlham, Iowa with three $50 gift cards. It's not coming from Jeff Lilly, the mayor. It's coming from an outside benefactor, Jeff and Amy. They are simply just a conduit through which that blessing can happen. You see where I'm going with this, right? You and I have an extremely rich and generous benefactor who has a name. It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has transferred to us divine kingdom power that can bring benefit to the lives of the people that are right around us. Whatever the stage is, however, however old you are, wherever you may be in the crisis, as a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you are 13 or 99 or somewhere in between, the resource of bringing kingdom benefit to the people that are around us is within you. It's within me. Once it's received and we rest and we relish and we rejoice in it, that we release it. Jesus' intention is to do kingdom ministry that transforms lives through us. Rather than being focused on what we might have to lose or what's happening to us, to be also thinking, what can God do through me and I want to be a part of the process, even if it's something as powerful as prayer, as prayer, to ask God to intervene and through that to experience and express kingdom power. So I want to encourage you, encourage myself. Let's not sit down on the opportunity. Let's not focus only on the impact of what's happening. Let's be looking for the opportunities for Christ who's already sent us out to our neighborhoods, to our world that we would leverage our lives, we would extend our hands and our lives to release kingdom power, connecting people to the dynamic life in Christ that can transform the lives of other people and ours as well. Let's refuse to allow the circumstances, crisis, to define our faith. Instead, let the crisis be the place through which the truth, the power, the life of Christ is released in transformational ways in our world. How about we pray about that together? Heavenly Father, first and foremost, I pray for those, God, they are dealing with the struggle of the situation. Folks right now who are dealing with loss and anxiety and fear, Lord, we pray your power of hope and healing upon them even now. And help them to remember that, God, they are not alone and that divine resources are available to them to transform their story. But that for all of us, that, Father, you would release your kingdom power and that we would be willing to see that happen through our lives in whatever way, using whatever particular means are at our disposal to bring the hope, the truth, the gospel, the healing of Jesus Christ to a world right now that is in desperate need and ripe to receive your power. We thank you and we praise you for what we have and now multiply that through our lives so that you may receive glory and honor and we may see 
the work of Jesus expressed fully among us in your kingdom here on earth. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.